What if I told you that the Republic was now under the control of the Dark Lord of the Sith? No, that's not possible. The Jedi would be aware of it. The dark side of the Force has clouded their vision, my friend. Hundreds of Senators are now under the influence of a Sith Lord called Darth Sidious. After an assassin fails to kill Padme Amidala, she falls in love with her Jedi protector, Anakin Skywalker. We get into aggressive negotiations as we chat about cloner confidentiality, why no one bothered to rescue Anakin's mother, and what Obi-Wan has in common with James Bond. Then we find out if Star Wars Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, stands the test of time. James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? James says gladiator with a glut Alan says as a father blah blah It's the test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Test of time James and Alan have their say Do the movies you love still hold up today? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Test of Time podcast. My name is Alan Noah, and your name is James Brief. That is my name. It's the name I've used legally for many years from now, ever since I've been on the run as the Bandit of Falcador. What is Falcador? Nowhere. It's nowhere, Al. That was very weird. Okay, whatever, James. It's nice to see you. I'm excited to continue our talk about the Star Wars prequels, with episode two, Dash, Attack of the Clones. This movie came out in 2002, 20 years ago. This movie is 20 years old. That kind of makes me feel a little old. Yeah, yeah, this film uh, takes place about, what is it, about 10 years after the events of the first film? Yes, that is correct. And Anakin has been recast. Jake Lloyd, no more. Right, right. And uh, I remember there was a lot of talk. Uh, it could be Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, I think even like Freddie Prince Jr. was thrown around back then. Really? Um, someone else. We've reviewed a couple of his films. You know who I'm going to say? Uh, it was Jonathan Brandis. Yeah, Jonathan Brandis. He auditioned. And I remember reading that the rejection of him from this role uh, maybe uh, contributed to his uh, poor mental health. And, you know, he kind of looks the part. I mean, I, I don't know what he looked like in his uh, later 20s, but, you know, looking at him in his late teens when he was on, like, Sequest, that show, I could totally see him in the, uh, at least the episode three, uh, Hayden Christensen, that longer hair look. And uh, with the blonde hair, you could kind of see a resemblance to Mark Hamill. Um, you said that we'd reviewed him in a couple of movies. What else did we see him in other than Ladybugs? Yeah, actually, you might be right. Whatever. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it went to uh, this Canadian, Hayden Christensen, who is reprising his role in Obi-Wan Kenobi, the limited series that is coming to Disney Plus, which is like, what's the point if he's in the Darth Vader costume? I don't know, but I'm excited to find out. Maybe there'll be a flashback or something. That'll be pretty cool. All right, so uh, this film, in case people don't remember the events of uh, this particular episode of Star Wars, uh, this is the movie that continues Anakin's story, and as he grows in his Jedi powers, he also grows in his anger and his temptation towards the dark side of the Force. And as thousands of planets leave the Republic and join the Separatists, led by the mysterious Count Dooku, an attempt is made to kill Senator Amidala, the former Queen of Naboo. Obi-Wan Kenobi is ordered to find out who is responsible, while Anakin is tasked with protected Padme. While they spend more time together, Anakin and Padme fall in love. Aww. That's right. Obi-Wan discovers that a massive army has been created for the Republic, created by cloning the bounty hunter Jango Fett. Obi-Wan tracks Jango to Geonosis, but he is captured. Anakin and Padme are also captured, but they are eventually rescued by dozens of Jedi Knights and the Republic's new army. The battle is saved by the attack of the clones. Oh, is that why the movie is called Attack of the Clones? Well, I mean, are they attacking? Yes. 
They absolutely attack. They attack the the battle droids and the Geonosians. Yeah, but are they clones? Yes, they are very clearly clones. Yeah, but is this in the Star Wars universe? Uh, yes. But finally, is this the second episode chronologically, Al? You are really, really bad at understanding things. Well, because if it is, then why wouldn't they just call it episode two of Star Wars Attack of the Clones? Yeah. So this movie, like its predecessor, was a huge blockbuster. I think it did a little bit less good than Phantom Menace, right, at the box office? Uh, right. It opened at number one on uh, May 16th, 2002. Uh, it opened at number one with $80 million on its opening weekend, 110 if you include the uh, Thursday night earlier. It uh, knocked Spider-Man down to number two. Take that, Spider-Man. Exactly. That's what the Green Goblin would say. Um, this is the only Star Wars film of the original or the prequel trilogy that was not the top grossing film of the year in North America. Really? Yeah, this film placed third in 2002. Interesting. Yeah, it wound up making $343 million domestically and $645 million worldwide. Can you guess what the uh, top two films, uh, number one and number two, were of 2002? Lord of the Rings? Uh, colon. Colon, the one that came out in 2002. I don't remember. Two Towers? That's correct. Very nice. That was number two. Okay, that was a guess. Uh, and was Spider-Man number one? No. Oh, it sure was, Alan. Ugh, gross. Uh, okay, well, uh, you know, I just had a conversation with some friends earlier today about Spider-Man and the different actors who played him. And one of my friends was saying that she hates Tobey Maguire. And she hated the Tobey Maguire movies because she really hates him and his face. And he has a bad face. Anyway, um, so it was number three on the year, which isn't bad, but I guess is just not consistent with the other Star Wars movies. Well, you know, the first film, people like uh, you and me, we had just seen it several times. And by episode two, I think at least the fever had gone down a little bit. You know, the people's uh, the appetite for Star Wars had, you know, it had been wetted, whetted, if you will, W-H-E-T. Um, it did cool down a little bit. So, you know, I don't think people were waiting in a line for two months to see uh, Attack of the Clones. I was reading up for last week's episode, and there was some stat like two and a half million people called out sick uh, on the day episode one came out. It resulted in like a $600 million dip in the U.S. economy or something. <laughs> like, I mean, nobody worked that day. I mean, it was essentially a national holiday. If your kid was nine years old and it was 1999, you would have taken him out of class. I mean, when episode seven came out, I took Eli out of school and we went to see all seven movies in a Star Wars movie marathon, which was amazing and maybe one of the greatest days of my life. And maybe I was a terrible father for taking my kid out of school that day. Or maybe I'm a great father for doing that. It's one of the two, Al. And it all depends upon your point of view. That's a callback to the original trilogy. And we were talking last week about the trailers for episode one. I don't distinctly remember going to see Monsters, Inc. to see the episode two trailer. In doing my research today, I saw that that was the movie it was attached to. And maybe I did? Like, that seems completely on brand because, you know, I like the Pixar movies. And would I have been racing to see Monsters, Inc. in 2001 as a 22-year-old? As a maybe not. But if I heard that there was a Star Wars trailer with it, yeah, that might have motivated me to go and pay 10 bucks to see Monsters, Inc. You know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, today I don't think you'd see 22-year-olds running out to see a Pixar movie today like uh, Turning Red or uh, Encanto. Was, was that Pixar? That's more Disney, right? Encanto was Disney. And Turning Red didn't have a theatrical release. It was only on Disney+. Plus. Right, right. But the point was when CGI films first came out, you absolutely had adults seeing, definitely seeing things like Shrek. Yeah. You absolutely had it. So it was so brand new that you very well could have seen it just for Monsters, Inc. back then. Maybe. I don't really remember seeing the trailer, but I do vividly remember how I saw this movie for the first time. I was working as a page at NBC, and there was this other page named Gideon 
who had another job outside of the page program where he worked at a radio station. And I got to give that guy a ton of credit for having a second job in addition to being a page because being a page was a lot of hours. But anyway, there was a rumor that through his job at the radio station, he had passes to see an advanced screening of episode two. Whoa! Yeah. And I heard that like through the grapevine and I ran around 30 Rock trying to track him down so that I could ask him if I could have one of his passes. And I went to this place and I went to that place and I went to the commissary and I went everywhere and I finally tracked him down. And when I saw him, I'm sure the way I asked him for the pass was saying something that sounded like, Oh, we're getting here to please. And he just looked at me like I was insane, as I was acting, and he said, Yeah, Alan, here's the pass. I was holding on to one for you. Of course I was. Aww. I know that you're a huge fan. Why would you think that I wouldn't give you one? And Did you start crying right there? I mean, probably. I assume so. I was really, really touched. He is a very, very nice human being. And the fact that he did that was incredibly kind, incredibly generous. And I will forever remember his kindness. Uh, and I got to see a screening. I think it was only like a day or two before it was like released wide. But um, I got to go to a movie, I think with another page named Jim, who is also a big Star Wars fan. And I was really, really, really excited about that. Uh, do you remember seeing the movie for the first time? Yeah, I do. Uh, I, I was in medical school and I, I saw it with some medical school friends. And there was a lot of hype for this film not as much as episode one but there is now episode one hate right and leading into episode two is definitely not getting universal like this is like an amazing film it was another mixed review batch so you really weren't knowing what you were getting into and i was kind of like come on come on be good be good the only thing i remember about this uh movie experience was about halfway through the film turning to my friend and saying this is really fun and just hearing shut up because apparently <laughs> i've been like talking like during the film <laughs> that's really funny mainly that's funny to me because i have seen many movies with you when you have told me to shut up so i like that other people told you to shut up in the movie theater that makes me smile yeah thank you <laughs> yeah you know, uh, let's talk about something else in this film. Actually, something that's not really in this film. And that is a young Gungan named Jar Jar Binks. Well, he is in this movie and he does play a pivotal role in the plot. But yeah, his role is greatly, greatly, greatly reduced. And I feel like I remember some interview with George Lucas where he said, oh, well, that was always the plan. Of course, he was going to have a smaller role. And that was always baked into episode two. And you couldn't help but think, really, George? Really, was that always the plan? Or was that your reaction to the hatred that this character faced after episode one? Well, I mean, what does Jar Jar do in episode one that is absolutely pivotal to the plot the way that they beat the army at the end it's anakin's lucky shot on the command ship that really shuts down the battle droids yeah. Really and yeah i know and, and the palace they're able to kind of outsmart them a little bit but it's not jar jar like if, if there was going to be something like jar jar is pivotal in this like one little thing he had to do in episode one i was reading some of these old articles and seeing some of these old interviews of george lucas and he said Jar Jar is the secret to everything. And yes, without Jar Jar giving the Chancellor these emergency powers, like, you wouldn't have turned into the Emperor. But it's like, that could have been anyone. Yeah, I do think his role in Episode 1 is more substantial than you're saying. I mean, he gets the Gungans to Padme, and they need that army, and whatever. But, I mean, yeah, I think that George Lucas was definitely overselling Jar Jar's importance 
he has dialogue in this movie. In episode three, he says nothing except for like, he says like, excuse me, or something like that that's like barely audible. Like he's really barely in episode three. He was a hated character. His role was drastically reduced and it's fine. Like he's not needed in this movie. No one watched episode two and said, you know what this movie needed? More Jar Jar. Although actually, you know what? Maybe that's not true. Maybe there were people who really, really loved him in the first movie. But now those kids are three years older. Maybe they've also outgrown Jar Jar a little bit, you know, in those ensuing three years. As a father, I can tell you that kids go through phases pretty quickly and they might like Star Wars still, but yeah, maybe the thing that they thought was really super funny when, you know, Jar Jar says, how would, and then falls down, maybe that's less funny three years later. I could believe that. You know, it wasn't the problem really that Jar Jar itself was horrible. You know, maybe people didn't love what you already gave us. Make it better. But instead they just said, oh, let's just not have these characters anymore. If they had doubled down on Jar Jar and he was he was even worse, <laughs> like it would have been, I mean, it could have been a disaster. So they did the safe move here. The reason why you don't really need Jar Jar is that this movie is the love story. And I do remember George Lucas saying that like in interviews before this movie came out. And that's the way this movie was sort of pitched. And it makes sense. We know that Anakin Skywalker is the father of Luke and Leia. And we assume that Padme is going to be the mother and they need to get together. In episode one, they have their meet cute and it's adorable, but their relationship needs to progress. And I think that it is fair to call this movie a love story, kind of. But I think the other thing that kind of gets lost in that label is that it's also a mystery. Like the movie starts with who is trying to kill Padme you don't find out the answer to that question until basically the end of the movie. And it's not like the greatest shock in the world that it's Newt Gunray trying to get revenge for what happened in episode one. But it is a little bit lost when people think about episode two. I think they think about, oh, that's the one where like they fall in love and they have all the cheesy love dialogue. But it is also like this whodunit kind of mystery. And, you know, having rewatched some of the James Bond movies late last year, there is kind of like that element to it, too, where Obi-Wan is sort of like tracking down clues and like searching around the galaxy to find out who's responsible for this attempt on the senator's life. That's a fun part of this movie, too. Yeah, I thought that was definitely a cool part of this. Uh, I love the scene in the diner. I just love this idea. I feel like George Lucas, with just his open canvas, was like, I want a diner scene in this galaxy. And that's part of the mystery. You know, in, in a prequel trilogy, there's not much you could do in terms of surprising people. We know certain characters are going to live and certain characters are probably going to die. This was a way to at least insert a little bit of, hmm, who is it? It turns out it's this guy, Count Dooku. And I will say that that's one flaw in this uh, trilogy. I always felt like Count Dooku kind of came out of nowhere. The same way that General Grievous comes out of nowhere in Episode 3. Yeah, there's a Clone Wars series between Episode 2 and 3. Did we get that before Episode 3 came out? Kind of. There was the micro-series Clone Wars, not The Clone Wars, that told you a little bit in between Episodes 2 and 3 that was released between Episodes 2 and 3. The main show, Star Wars, The Clone Wars, which ran for five seasons and then got a sixth and then got a seventh season, that came out after Episode 3. Right, so I really would have liked if there were elements of... Dooku having been planted or Grievous having been planted in earlier films because it always bothers me. I mentioned it in the Matrix films and those directors didn't really know that they were going to have to plan an epic three-part trilogy necessarily. But come on, George, you knew you were going to do this. And yes, you're going to make changes as you do them, you know, maybe lighten the Jar Jar role. But I don't think he made up Dooku on the spot when he when he did episode two. I feel like he probably had an idea of him and Grievous, but I wish he had put seeds of them in episode one. You know, it's funny. Count Dooku doesn't really bother me as coming 
from out of the blue. What bothered me a little bit more was the whole thing about the separatists and like the Republic splitting in two. Like in the opening crawl of this movie, they talk about all of these planets that are leaving the Republic. And that they really could have established in episode one with a line or two about how this whole thing with the Trade Federation, this could snowball. Palpatine, when he was giving a spiel, he could say, there's corruption in the Senate. And if that's not fixed before long, I don't know, we might start seeing some uh, some planets leave. And that's not at all in episode one. And it just comes in the crawl in episode two. Exactly. The line that they say at the end of episode two should have been at the end of episode one, where Obi-Wan should say something like, oh, well, it's a good thing, uh, something, something, or we wouldn't have had the victory here. And then Yoda would have been like, victory. 20 other planets are now seeing that this is a viable option. And there's whispers that the droid army might spread. And you're absolutely right. This all should have been in episode one. And it was not at all. And that does disappoint me a little bit that these seeds weren't planted there. Yeah, I think that's fair. But I think one of the reasons that this movie is criticized a lot is because of the love story. And that it is clunky. The dialogue is not great. It is not terribly romantic. It is not the greatest love story ever captured on film. And I think that these criticisms are fair. They are valid. I do, though, think that when you watch these two characters, quote unquote, flirting, and they're really, really bad at it, especially Anakin, they're teenagers. They are falling in love for the first time, right? Neither one of them have ever had a real relationship before. I mean, Padme talks about a boy that she liked and a boy that she kissed, but you get the sense that this is her first real relationship. And they're teens. Like, they are melodramatic. The way that they talk about, like, you are in my soul tormenting me. Like, yeah, that's cheesy as hell. But who would say that? a 16-year-old who's in love for the first time. You know, like, it's kind of believable. Yeah, but this leads to something that always bothered me about this. And there's just something wrong about this story. You say these are teens. They're not. There's some strange decision that was made that Padme should be, like, eight years older than... uh, Or how many older? How many years older is she? Five. Five years older. In episode one, she's 14 and he's nine. And this is 10 years later. So he's 19 and she's 24. Yeah, and it makes a little more sense now because, you know, Hayden Christensen and Natalie Portman, you know, they look perfectly fine together. But did he really want um, Natalie Portman so bad that he had to cast a 14-year-old Natalie Portman? Like, why didn't he make them a similar age? I don't mind. It doesn't have to be the man older than the woman. But it was always weird. Like, especially when the first thing she says to him is, oh, Annie, I'll always see you as that little boy on Tatooine. And I'm like, yeah. Because, like, you know, I guess if you've seen some little kid when when they sprout up and, you know, they're like, oh, you know, that kid's now not a kid. He's a man or she's a woman. It's kind of like if you were the same age as them, it's kind of weird. I'm sorry. I get what you're saying. And I really, really can't argue with you. I think part of it is just like practicality where Natalie Portman is a really, really good actor and you cast her in episode one. You're keeping her for the next two. Jake Lloyd, he's not bad, but yeah, in three years, he doesn't look that much older. And yeah, you can just kind of recast him and it's going to be fine. It's not ideal. They could have made Anakin 11. That's fine. In, in episode one. Yeah, in episode one. That, that's fine. You want Natalie Portman. There's something about her. I'm sure when you saw her, because they would have been correct. Like, this is a future Academy Award winning actress. Like, when we land her, like, yes, let's kind of base the other kid around this Academy Award winning kid actress. And I get that, but I feel like you can't cast a nine-year-old then. It's not that big a deal. It's it's weirder when like Luke and Leia kiss in episode four than Five. this. Uh, don't they kiss in episode four? Nope. No. Oh, okay. Oh, she does. She kisses him on the cheek and says good luck. Okay, fine. But that's not weird for a sister to kiss a brother on the cheek. That's true. I get what you're saying. But even though like the love story is criticized and maligned, it is also like 
one of many Star Wars prequel memes, you know, like them talking on the fields of Naboo and people love to make fun of the line where he's complaining about the sand that gets everywhere when he's like riding on like that creature around Naboo and then like he falls down and pretends to get really hurt and she runs over and is like, Annie, are you all right? Which kind of made me think of Smooth Criminal by Michael Jackson. She doesn't say, Annie, are you okay? But it was close enough to make me think of it. But then he's like, no, no, I'm fine. And I was like, that's a really jerk thing to do to like pretend that you got hurt just to elicit sympathy. But that's what an idiot kid would do if they had a crush on the girl and didn't know how to act, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. It's clunky, but Natalie Portman is good enough to make her parts work. Hayden Christensen might be a good enough actor. In these particular scenes, I don't know if it's he's not able to make it better or if just nobody's able to do anything with some of that dialogue. It might be a little element to both of them, but it's just clunky and it's like, just, all right, let's just get on to the, to the next scenes. Um, Camino. Mm-hmm. This is a completely new planet. We've never heard of it. Uh, There's a brand new design of creatures. These guys are like 10 feet tall, totally CGI. It's a really fascinating little weird world that seems to be just a cloning facility that seems to be like outside of the galaxy. It's like go to the edge of the galaxy and then go a couple more days past that. No, they know where it is. It's just that the planet has been removed from the archives. And, you know, then that leads to Yoda's line of Obi-Wan has lost the planet How embarrassing! And then all the kids kind of make fun of him. I think the thing that really struck me with Kamino was that when Obi-Wan goes there and is talking to them about, you know, these clones that are being made, they go into, like, a lot of detail about their deal with Jango Fett. It was like, oh, he is paid a quite substantial amount. He asked for an unaltered clone because he wanted to have a son. Isn't that interesting? Jango Fett lives here. We keep him here. Like, first off, why do you make him live there if you needed his DNA to start the cloning process? Okay, once you got his DNA, what do you need to keep him around for? And also, why are you sharing all of these confidential details of your deal with him? Like, that's not anything they need to disclose. And it's helpful for us, the audience. But there's no such thing as cloner confidentiality, you know? As strange as this is, I feel like this is the kind of thing that a novelization would explain. These Camino people, they seem to be, honestly, they talk kind of awkwardly. And they're cloners. I mean, it's even implied from the guy in the diner. Like, even for this galaxy, cloning is weird and probably illegal and unethical in some way. And he's like, yeah, these guys are not on the map. There is... Certainly an idea that, like, you're in, like, a sophisticated drug lab somewhere else, and these guys are kind of gangsters. I guess, I guess, that makes sense. When Obi-Wan fights Jango on Kamino, that's a pretty cool fight scene. There's a great moment when Jango is, like, using his jetpack, and he's really high up, and... I guess you could say he has the high ground against Obi-Wan, but Obi-Wan's able to do like a flying leap and knock him down. I just thought I would mention that, that the character who has the high ground is defeated by Obi-Wan. I mentioned something similar last week. Just thought I'd mention that here. The person on the high ground here does not have a laser sword in case you're building up to something. I mean, he has a jetpack and like 10 million weapons in his armor. Yeah, and I guess the guy with high ground in episode one had a laser sword, lightsaber. The whole thing with Jango Fett is that because fans really liked Boba Fett, George Lucas decided to do more with Boba Fett and then his father and then basically make all the stormtroopers Boba Fett's. I don't know that that was really necessary. I mean, I think part of the the thing that people liked about Boba Fett was that he was mysterious and you didn't really know a lot about him. And then doing his whole backstory, while interesting, wasn't really necessary. Like, did the clone troopers need to be all Django Fett's? No, and... Honestly, that was a disappointing thing to me. I always imagined from that one line in episode four, you fought with my father in the Clone Wars. I thought that there was going to be 
two of everybody. I thought there was going to be Yoda, and there'd be evil Yoda. There'd be young Obi-Wan. There'd be his evil clone. I thought that's what the Clone Wars were. And that was in my head canon. You know, we talked about this last week, that... um, in everyone's head, there was some canon that it was impossible for George Lucas to fulfill everyone's canon. And for me, yeah, the idea that, oh, it was the stormtroopers who were all clones, because the thing is, they're not all clones by the time it's the original trilogy and in any of the later films. And it's not even implied that they're clones in episode four. It's just like, oh, I guess they're making them clones and they're going to have to like undo that somehow before episode four. They don't really explain, at least not in the movies. Maybe in the Clone Wars, did they explain how they transitioned there? No, no, not really. I think in one of the sequel movies, they say like, oh, well, we stopped using clones a while ago or something like that. But they don't really ever say when or why. Um, I didn't really know what the Clone Wars were about, but I thought that Obi-Wan was a clone. Obi-Wan, Obi-Wan, like maybe there was an Obi-2, an Obi-3 kind mm. of a thing. And, and you know, like he just kind of changed it to Obi-Wan. That was what I imagined it to be. You know who's a really underrated uh, actor or actress in this trilogy? The actress that plays Shmi Skywalker. Mm -hmm. She says so little, and she's so sad. Every single line that this actress says... There's just sadness behind it. You know, I had the opportunity because of uh, my grandparents and where where the communities they lived. I met a lot of Holocaust survivors in my life. And some of them, you know, were very happy people. Some of them just had PTSD. I mean, they, they were damaged by this trauma. And I think Shmi Skywalker was completely traumatized by the fact that her son was taken away from her. She was a slave. But that's something that also really bothered me about this uh the story that they had to make Anakin so little and then had to make him an adolescent for episode two. Are you telling me that in 10 years, Queen Amidala couldn't use any of her money to help free Shmi Skywalker? You know, Watu was like, no Padres is worth two slaves. Yeah, he's saying that's not worth it. So give him enough money that it's worth it. They had to have written that out somehow. They say in this in this movie that Watu, uh, she's sold. Like, it should have been, he immediately tried to get her, but Watu sold her, like, right after the events of episode one. Watto. Wada, fine. It really pisses me off. It even pisses me off in episode one that they don't try harder to bring the mother. And there is a deleted scene that I really did appreciate that I watched that shows that Qui-Gon tried a lot harder to get both the mother. And then in the end, he's like, all right, just the kid. But um, it was really annoying. You make a good point about uh, Queen Amidala. Also, the Jedi could have gone back and freed her, even if... They needed Anakin to be separate from her, and he needs to live his life apart from his mother while he's going through the Jedi training. At least just know that she's not a slave, you know? Like, they could have done something for the mother of their maybe chosen one. I agree with you. It is a problem that they just kind of forgot about her. And it turns out that she was sold to a kind of good man who just took her in not as a slave, but made her his wife. And had he just known that, it would have been like, oh, thank goodness. Maybe he could even send him a couple bucks, a couple credits here and there, like you send your parents back in the old country or something. I know it's a small thing, but it's his mom. And it's supposed to be one of the things that drives him to evil. And it's a great thing to drive him to evil but it's a plot hole that it could be fixed i'm not exactly sure how but it could be fixed with a little dialogue we've been looking for her forever it turns out she was just on tatooine the entire time right right i hear what you're saying the mechanics of the plot function from an a to b to c perspective of he's a little kid and he's separated from his mom he's afraid of losing her in episode one and fear leads to anger and anger leads to hate and hate leads to suffering and that is what happens because he is afraid to lose her and then he does lose her and then he decides that he's never going to lose anyone else again and then that comes up in episode three and that is part of his downfall all of the story beats are there but yeah there is some of like that connective tissue that is missing and it is a a weird thing that they just didn't bother to address but let's get to geonosis 
which is a gladiator scene. What kind of scene is it, James? Gladiator scene. Gladiator scene? Yeah, whatever. <laughs> um, Obi-Wan is being held prisoner. Anakin and Padme go to rescue him. And then when Obi-Wan sees Anakin, he's like, oh, what are you doing here? And he says, we came to rescue you. And then Obi-Wan looks at his chains and just goes, good job. I thought that was really funny. That kind of made me laugh out loud. But the other kind of comic relief in this scene is C-3PO. Because, like you said, Jar Jar is not really a character in this movie. And so they give the comic relief stuff to C-3PO, which is nice. We're used to seeing C-3PO and R2-D2 have comic banter. But some of the lines from C-3PO are a little too forced. Like when his head is on the the droid body and then it gets knocked off and then he's being dragged around and he says this is such a drag and then r2 puts his head right next to his body and c-3po says i'm quite beside myself i mean i'm all for a good dad joke but these are just like so forced they just feel like come on well if you didn't like what they did to c-3po i loved what they did to r2d2 in this film Oh my god, Rocket R2. Oh, I love that. It's so much fun. It is. I think the obvious question is, how come he never flew in the original trilogy? Yeah, how come they didn't make him uh, like malfunction episode three? I thought it was so obvious he was going to do something like maybe heroic and like it'll be like he'll never fly again. That kind of thing. I don't get it. It made no sense to me. I feel like in episode four, you can see that there's like some ropes around part of him, like when he's sold by the Jawas. But like, yeah, by the time episode five or six comes around, like you'd think someone would have cut that off and he wouldn't have that limitation anymore no that's fine it kind of reminds me of like remember in back to the future part three they write in a random word of dialogue that says the delorean will never fly again because it wouldn't have worked to have a not just a car in 1885 but a flying car they just wrote in something that says it'll never work again like they made c-3po they wipe his memory literally the rocket gets blown off and see part of his leg kind of little chip it just gets blown off Fine. They don't have to literally say it, but okay, there we go. There was damage to that rocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. I agree with you. That is a little bit weird that they don't do that. They didn't. But now we get to uh, Anakin, Obi-Wan, and uh, Padme. They escape from these uh, creatures, but the real action comes when all the Jedi show up and Mace in his purple lightsaber. That's the first time we see it, right? Yes, and that was a thing that I feel like maybe I heard about before the movie came out, but I don't know, maybe not. I don't remember when I heard about it, but that was just the thing that Samuel L. Jackson asked George Lucas, and apparently he didn't know if his request was granted until he saw the movie. Oh, cool. I mean, how stupid is this attack, honestly? They do a ground assault like this. I I mean, so many Jedi get killed to try to rescue these uh, three prisoners, And the fact that Yoda comes, like, a minute later with an air assault and totally kicks ass. There's a lot of times in movies where it's like, why is this a a ground assault? Like, even in episode one, why is this a battlefield assault? I guess they had shields there, so it had to be a battle assault. But in this film, it did not have to be. Yeah, I get what you're saying. I mean, I think the real answer to your question is... So that there could be another reveal in the movie and have another moment of like, whoa, and you're right. They should have coordinated it a little bit better. Yoda should have gotten there five minutes earlier. But watching this movie in a crowded packed theater a day or two before the movie came out with people who won those passes, they were super fans. And I'm telling you. From this point of the movie on, there were like six different moments where the theater erupted in cheers. When all of the Jedi show up and you see like all of those lightsabers light up. And then when they all run to attack, oh my God, the theater exploded. When Yoda shows up with the clones, these people were never so excited in their life. And 
Honestly, I think my experience seeing episode two in a crowded theater is my most favorite like crowded theater movie going experience ever in my life. The only exception might be when Eli and I saw all seven Star Wars movies, all seven at the time, when we did that Star Wars movie marathon. That was maybe one of the greatest days of my life, and it involved being in a movie theater, but that was more because it was me and Eli. Just, like, the crowd and the energy in, like, the entire third act of this movie was so on, like, another level. It was cranked up to 11. It was just amazing. It was just a really fun experience, you know, being in a theater packed with people who just were cheering every step of the way. When Yoda comes into the Count Dooku fight. Yeah, that's what I want to hear about how your crowd react. Oh, my God. Like, just, oh, my God. They loved it. When he started flipping around, they were cheering. They were out of their seats. This is it. After Count Dooku has uh, knocked out Obi-Wan, chopped off Anakin's arm. They're both out for the count. Yoda hobbles in, in his old man cane, just like we've seen him in episode five and episode six. He's an old man in episode one. He's sitting at the council. He's just sitting down because old men like that sit. And he hobbles in. And actually, I only noticed this time, while Obi-Wan is fighting, there's a part where one of the clones goes up to Yoda and Yoda just kind of looks to the side and he can tell something's going on. A disturbance in the force, if you will. Yeah. And he knows he has to go. And then when he hobbles in, and I can only imagine what a crowd, how they would react. And that just seems so much fun. They, and I'm saying they, me too. Like, I was with them. Like, we all went nuts. When he gets his lightsaber, not by taking it out with his hand, but by using the force to just, like, get it. Like, oh my god, that was so cool. And he starts flipping around. It was just phenomenal. It's such a great scene. And then after the fight, when he kind of like then starts hobbling with the cane again. Yeah. I mean, it was just phenomenal. Like, I loved every single second of it. Then when Count Dooku escapes with the plans for the Death Star, that also got some oohs and ahs from the crowd of like, oh, they're already planning it. I noticed watching it this time, you can see it before they like explicitly call it out like it's there pretty visible in the background for a few seconds before they're like they must not know about our ultimate weapon this thing in my hand close up on the death star hologram everyone seen it second 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 okay now we can move on you're exactly right i noticed it in the background like like five seconds before they showed the hologram for the first time ever yeah yeah another epic line i'm sure the theater went crazy it was uh Yoda has this great line. It might be one of the last lines of dialogue of the film. He goes, Begun. The Clone War has. Yeah, well, I mean, I think the the entire reveal of that, like, okay, the Clone Wars, that thing we've been hearing about since 1977, now it's here. That's really exciting. Also, then when you see that the clones are the stormtroopers and that the republic ships are the star destroyers (gasps) you know who they are because it's the imperial march yeah and like that's a pretty epic twist like you you were kind of alluding to this that like the problem with prequels is you kind of know a lot of the things that are going to happen but you didn't know that you didn't know that the republic was going to basically turn into the Empire and they were going to be like the good guys. That wasn't ever a given going into these movies. And I think that was a really clever twist. And maybe it doesn't hit you in the same way as the twist of, no, I am your father from Empire Strikes Back. Maybe that's a bigger twist. No, you know what? I don't even need to qualify it. That is a bigger twist. The twist in this movie of... The clones become the stormtroopers. That's less impactful, but it's still a good twist. Um, I wouldn't even call it a twist, though. I'd more like, oh, oh, that's how it is. It's not like a twist of like, oh, he killed my father. No, he is your father. Like that's you know, from a point of view, he kind of killed who he was. No, 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 no. Like that's a twist. And then the movie ends with the wedding of uh, Anakin and uh, Padme. Right. And the only witnesses are R2 and uh, 
3PO, and some priest. Right. Actually, I was watching this with my daughter and she said like, well, it's not really a secret because that guy knows. And I was like, yeah, but you know, he's just one guy and he lives on Naboo and no one's coming to talk to him. And And Anakin might kill him because he's totally evil. No, he's not totally evil and he's happy and he's in love and he's not going to kill the priest from his wedding or minister or whatever they have in Star Wars. It's not like he's an innocent child. Right, 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 right. Or a sand person. Or an innocent sand person child. That's true. Did you watch the book of Boba Fett? No, I haven't yet. Okay, well, I will say this in a way that involves no spoilers. How do I say this? I'm choosing my words carefully. The part of this movie where Anakin slaughters the Tusken Raiders is and always was icky because, you know, it's him slaughtering an entire village. After you watch the book of Boba Fett you might feel that it's extra icky. That's all I'll say. But yeah, that's all there is to be said about episode two. What what do you think, Al? Does it stand the test of time? I think that it does. I think that this movie does stand the test of time. It's really, really enjoyable on a lot of levels. Yeah, some of the love story stuff is kind of cringy or very cringy. You know what else is super cringy? The fact that the assassin that goes after Padme can change its body type and it is called a changeling. And then like a couple scenes later, we find out that the young Jedi students are called younglings. It's like, come on, think of another way to describe these characters other than adding ling at the end. I mean, come on, you know, Um, but There's really good stuff in this movie, and I think the mystery works really well. There's one part where they're talking about Anakin, and someone says that Anakin's really arrogant, and Yoda says, well, you know, arrogance is a common trait among Jedi, even some of the older ones who should know better. And it's like, yeah, thank you. Yoda's acknowledging the fact that the Jedi don't know what's going on, and that becomes a thing in Episode 3, that they're so arrogant they don't realize that Palpatine is a Sith Lord. And I like the fact that they kind of give that a little bit of uh, acknowledgement in this movie. Um, I don't know if I've ever complained about it on this podcast, but I do sometimes get annoyed with the trope of big blockbusters have to end with this huge battle scene with the good guys and the bad guys and it's just two like cgi armies and you don't really know many of the characters and they just run towards each other and there's so much death everywhere and like who cares i feel like that's just not really that exciting in general in movies anymore i've seen it so many times i didn't see it but i think that's how the second uh, 50 shades of gray film ends i don't think think that's how that movie ends but i haven't seen it so i really don't know but like this movie's giant battle scene at the end just works for me it really works like watching the the clones attack the geonosians attack the battle droids i like it it's fun it's exciting it's energetic it gets me kind of like out of my seat a little bit and i'm like really pumped and i want to just keep watching and i get excited by it um this is a random thing that bothers me but how come when count dooku hits Anakin with the lightsaber, he chops off his arm, but when he hits Obi-Wan with the lightsaber, Obi-Wan falls down and doesn't lose any limbs and doesn't die. I didn't remember when he hit Obi-Wan with the lightsaber. Yeah, like he kind of like hits him on the back and he's okay. Kylo Ren does that to Finn in episode seven and it's like, no, they're laser swords. They cut through anything. No, when he does it to Finn, I feel like he like just nicked him. Like he did a real nice, like, you know, third degree burn down down his back. But had it been like an inch deeper, it would have killed him. Oh, okay. Um there's also one line in this movie, it's less famous than a similar line in episode three, but there's a line in this movie when Padme is talking with the new queen of Naboo and they're talking about why they have to have faith in the system and the Senate and that everything's gonna work out. And they say, Democracy dies when people stop believing in it. And I thought that was a really timely line now that there's like this assault on democracy and voting rights and people are like, yeah, people shouldn't be allowed to vote anymore. It's like, wait, what? No, that defeats the entire purpose of the democracy. And I don't think George Lucas was thinking about that in 2002 when he wrote that line. But I thought that line really does stand the test of time in a bad way, unfortunately. Um, But yeah, I enjoyed this movie. I think it definitely stands the test of time. I find it to be a very, very enjoyable flick. I'm a fan. What do you think, James? 
Uh, I'll start with the things that really just don't work. It's the dialogue of the love story in this film. It doesn't work. The actors and actresses are are very good in this film, but the uh, script needed a little script doctoring. Uh, It's fair to criticize what we saw in the film, like... um, a romantic story, but it's something that's unfair, and you do this a lot, Al, to criticize not what we saw in the film, but what I wish was done instead. And, you know, there are theories online that I thought it was like a stupid, like, you know, almost a joke theory at first, this whole Darth Jar Jar. When you look into it, there was apparently a deleted scene where Palpatine whispers something to Jar Jar shortly before he goes before the Senate and gives uh, Palpatine the full Senate powers and I thought that would have been something interesting one of the only ways to really surprise you you called it a twist with the clone army I was more like oh okay that's where that came from oh wow that's the imperial army huh but I wouldn't really call it a twist but if it was like oh Jar Jar the guy from the first film was really a bad guy maybe we don't find out to the third film no that that's not done but is it fair to criticize something that wasn't done no probably not yes it is it's completely fair to criticize something that <laughs> should have been in a movie and and isn't that is fair your takedown from a few weeks ago of the movie breakdown was here's what the movie should have been that, you know, yeah <laughs> that's completely fair and a okay. completely valid criticism that's okay. totally totally fair okay fine but um what i like in this film a lot and I kind of wish actually it was maybe explicitly said a little more rather than being vague, but I kept feeling uh, watching this film 20 years after it came out that everything that happens in this film is Palpatine. Everything. Shmi Skywalker is kidnapped by Tusken Raiders. Palpatine. Her husband's unable to rescue him and most of them are killed so they can't rescue again. Palpatine. This is all set up so he has to go there. There's a part where Palpatine says to the Jedi, oh, I think Master Kenobi should uh, should protect Queen Abadala. He knows Obi-Wan Kenobi means Obi-Wan plus Anakin. Mm-hmm. I really like these things and I like that he's uh, really playing the puppet master and that's what I like about this trilogy that to me it's it seems like there's a plan from the beginning. And, you know, other than the love story being clunky, I think this film does stand the test of time. I think episode two is unfairly maligned. Oh, yes, another thing, it doesn't work. You're exactly right in some of the comedic things. The, oh, this is such a drag, that line is horrible. Mm-hmm. And there's a couple other horrible lines, like the romantic story. They're pretty bad. And someone could have edited these lines out and the movie wouldn't have suffered at all. But what we did get is still a lot of fun. And episode two does stand the test of time. All right. Well, what will we think of Star Wars episode three? You'll have to find out next week when we talk about the final movie in the prequel trilogy. I am very excited to see what happens to Anakin Skywalker. I think he's going to turn out okay. I think everything's going to be fine for that guy. Yeah, yeah. It all turns out well for him. He's, you know, he really gets his uh, demons out and he becomes uh, um, a social worker. That's great. I will like to see that. As always, until then, we want to hear from you guys at Test of Time Pod on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Make sure you're subscribed. You probably already are. Of course you are. But just in case you're not, you know, you better hit that subscribe button. Otherwise, you won't find out what we think about Star Wars Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. We will see you next week when we talk about that movie. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye.